To say that the Bible uh, speaks about dragons uh, may grab any child's attention. It should grab anyone's attention, but not in a superficial way. We are often uh, used to hear about dragons in fairy tales. It would be a very poor logic to assume that if the Bible includes talk about dragons, therefore it is fairy tales. Uh, Today, we are going to talk about a dragon, and it's not just any dragon, it's the dragon, the one who continues to oppose God and his people. This morning, I invite you to open God's Word to Revelation chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 17. If you are visiting with us, we are so glad you're here. We are working our way through the book of Revelation, and this morning, we are just about halfway through the book. Uh, if you did not bring a Bible with you, we encourage you to find a Bible uh, provided in the chairs in front of you. You may find this passage on page number uh, 1034. And here is God's word for us this morning as we are introduced and are taught and given instruction about the dragon. But as we begin this passage, I want you to observe and notice this dragon is a defeated dragon. And yet he remains harmful. So let's consider the truth about this dragon. He is not one that we should ignore lightly. Here's the word of the Lord. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with a sun, with a moon under her feet and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God, And to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God, in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth. He pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness 
to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured out from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Would you bow with me and pray and ask God to bless the preaching of his word? Father, thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. We pray now that you would give us hearts to hear and understand your revelation so that we might be edified and encouraged so that Christ would be exalted among us and through your people. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Revelation 12 begins the third interlude in the book of Revelation. If you've been with us, you remember that the book of Revelation is in its main body, a book that has 21 judgments divided up in three segments of seven judgments. And uh, occasionally, the, the, the unfolding of these judgments is put on pause for the sake of giving or hearing uh, some interludes that explain to us uh, why God is acting this way uh, upon the earth. Today, we are looking at the third and final interlude of the book of Revelation. This interlude is the longest. It starts with chapter 12, verse 1. It goes all the way to chapter 14 at the end of the chapter. Uh, this interlude is really the, the heart of the book because it tells us why the kingdom of the world is in tension, in conflict with the kingdom of God. We have seen this theme of, of, the, of the conflict between two kingdoms in the book of Revelation. And the chapter 12 and then 13 and then 14 uh, describes to us why do we have a tension between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. The spotlight of, of this chapter is on the dragon. We do not need to guess who this dragon is. We do not need to, uh, to, to think through uh, if he is real or, or not, he is real. His name is Satan. He is the devil. Verse 9 says he's called the devil and Satan, that ancient serpent. Our entire chapter zooms in to tell us about Satan's aim, about his failure, about his defeat, about his persistent pursuit of God's people. As we learn about the dragon's plans and strategy, I pray that this text and this sermon will have at least three effects on us. First, for anyone this morning who might consider religion to be just a matter of personal preference, just a matter of, um, of a means of self-help, I pray that this passage will open our eyes to see what is our, at stake behind our actions. There is a conflict, a cosmic conflict between Satan and God's plan to set his own son to rule the nations. Satan is real. He is an angelic being 
who rebelled against God and all the angels who followed him have fallen and been cast out along with Satan. Satan's existence is real. His desire is to thwart God's plan. And his strategy, his plans are real. This is not just a matter of personal preference. This is not just a matter of of self-help. True religion is about being reconciled with a God who created us. And being sure that we are in his kingdom, not in the kingdom that the devil seeks to lure and to guide. There's a second effect I pray that this passage will have. And that is that it will wake up any Christians who are in apathy towards the things of God. As Christians, if we want to live this life by taking the easy way, this passage will show us how deceptive such a path is. Committing to follow God makes the devil to be our enemy. Makes us to be the target of the devil's pursuit. So to remain apathetic or superficial towards God and towards the Christian life is very foolish when the enemy that we have against us is the dragon, the monster, the, the, the devil himself. The devil is set against us. We must be on guard against his lures. But then there's a third effect that I hope this passage will have on us, and that is to give us confidence. This passage aims not to scare Christians, but to give us confidence that the enemy who is pursuing us is already a defeated enemy, and yet he is wrathful. He's defeated, but he's still wrathful. Just because he is defeated does not mean that he is harmless. He can create still lots of harm. He is a wrathful dragon. His act of wrath is limited and short. If he seems to be more powerful and more in control, it is not because he really is in control. It's because he really has lost the control. And he now acts out of desperation in his last attempt to do as much damage as he can before he is fully capitulated. And the passage that we have looked before us, that we have before us, can be divided in three scenes. And these three scenes uh, communicate three, three big truths uh, about, uh, about the dragon. And here they are. The first one, the dragon failed to devour the Messiah. And this is the first passage the first uh, principle that we look from this passage, the dragon failed to devour the Messiah. In the first six verses, John sees two signs in heaven, the sign of a woman pregnant and already in birth pains. And the second sign is a sign of a dragon, a big dragon red with seven heads and ten thorns. His might and power is so strong that we are told that with a third of with, a, with his tail, he was able to cast down a third of the stars of heaven. This shows the kind of power, the kind of uh, influence and impact this dragon has. He is clearly a very intimidating and ferocious creature. And notice what is a dragon's aim and hope in this picture. Verse 4, the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. This is a dragon's aim, to devour the male child who was born to the woman. 
Now, why would this be so? Notice in verse 5, we are told about this child. Something's very special. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. This vision is clearly speaking about Christ. Jesus Christ is a son of God promised to send us, that God promised to send to us to become incarnate, born of a virgin, and destined to rule the nations. We see this promise most clearly in Psalm 2, when the psalmist says on behalf of God, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possessions. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. The psalm is speaking about Jesus. Jesus was promised to receive a rod of iron and rule the nations. But the dragon's aim is to stop God's plan to set his son as ruler over the nations. The dragon's aim is to do all that is in his power to devour the Messiah so that he could not become the ruler over the nations. Friends, as people who live on this earth, we find ourselves in this cosmic battle between the dragon seeking to stop this royal child to become the ruler of the nations. The conflict is really a conflict of who will reign over us. Will it be the son that God promised? Or will it be the dragon in his attempts to thwart God's plans? There's no middle ground. You might say today, well, I, I want no one to reign over me. No one can tell me how to live this life. I reign over myself. I think I can be a better governor over my own life. Friends, many people think that way today. Many feel that this path is a safer path to take. But the God who created us declared that he has given the nations to his son so he would govern them. This was God's design in creating this universe. And if we reject his reign and instead choose to self-govern ourselves, we find ourselves in the same path that the dragon took. We side with a dragon in opposing the reign of the Messiah over us and over all the nations. So if any of us want to take the path of self-governance, I mean, you're welcome to do that. You can. You can do whatever you want. But just be aware, you're doing the same path. You're siding in the same camp with a dragon who tried to oppose the sun to reign over the nations. Now consider the contrast of this first scene in our text. A woman giving birth, facing a dragon. Now, a woman giving birth in the pains of birth is a picture of a, of a woman who cannot protect herself. And she cannot protect even her newborn baby. She is in the pains of giving birth. Yet in front of her stands this ferocious and powerful dragon. If he was able to sweep a third of the stars with his tail, what chance, what chance would a woman about to give birth have to protect herself and her baby from this dragon? Humanly speaking, there is no chance whatsoever. But notice what happens in verse 5. She gave birth to a male child 
the one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God. In other words, despite all human expectations, the dragon fails to devour the child. Now, this escape of the child from the hands of the dragon, from the clutches of the devil, was first shown as in, in, in some small, minutial ways when King Herod tried to kill baby Jesus. But God directed Mary and Joseph to flee the scene. But that was just a miniature, a greater clutch, a greater, a greater catch was supposed to happen at the cross when Jesus was indeed crucified and killed. And the world, the governors of the world thought, we got him. We caught him. But three days later, God raised Jesus from the dead and thus snatched Jesus, snatched the Messiah from the clutches of death and the grave. And Jesus ascended to God and to his throne. So in, in one verse, in verse 5, we have the entire earthly life of Jesus summarized. His birth, his death, his resurrection, and his exaltation to God's throne. What's the point of this scene? Despite the dragon's fierce power against a male child, the dragon was unable to devour, to destroy the child destined to rule the nations. And even when he was crucified and put in a grave, even that was not sufficient grounds for the devil to keep holding him. Even from that, God rescued his son and ascended him to his throne. Friend, what hope this brings to us. No matter how strong the dragon appears to be, he cannot thwart God's plans to set his son to rule over the nations. Now, friends, don't let the appearance of vulnerability to lead you to panic and fear. God's plans persevere through what looks from a human perspective to be very vulnerable and weak. If God was able to snatch his son from death and grave, and the grave, we should have confidence that God will not leave us or forsake us in our moments of vulnerability. And forever, for any of us who are, is not a Christian, this first scene challenges us to consider that a male child, Jesus Christ, is still destined to rule over all the nations. And if a fierce dragon could not oppose him at the moment when he was most vulnerable, when this child was most vulnerable, what chance does any human have to continue to oppose the reign of this son? But that's not the whole story. The dragon, first scene, the dragon failed to devour the Messiah. That's point one. But the second scene develops. The dragon, points two, the dragon is defeated and cast out of heaven. We see this in the second scene, which is in verses 7 through 12. The ascension of the male child to God's throne leads the angels of God to have a war with a dragon and his angels. We see this in verse 7. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against a dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. Friends, just a moment. 
Do you realize that if this thing was not revealed to us, we would never know this information? We would never know what truly happens in the heavenly realms. If you guide your own Christian walk just by what you feel or experience, you are going to be so limited. God calls us to lead our lives by what he reveals to us in his book, in the Bible. And here we see a, a, a heavenly war in the, in the heavenlies between Michael and his angels. Uh, Michael is the, is the angel often used in the Old Testament with the protection of God's people. And here Michael and his angels um, are, are battling against the dragon and his angels. Why is, are they starting this war? Because Jesus died, rose, and was ascended to the heavens, to God's throne. In this war, the dragon is defeated, and the consequences of his defeat is twofold. The first is in verse 10. The dragon is cast out from the presence of God. Now, you might wonder, why was the dragon in the presence of God? It was not to enjoy fellowship with God. That is not possible. Instead, he was in God's presence as the accuser of God's people. Look ahead at verse 10, uh, in the second part of verse 10. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. Now, this is why the dragon was coming into the presence of God, to accuse God's people day and night, just as he did it with Job. Do you remember the book of Job, where Satan came into God's presence only to accuse and to instigate God against his people and just trying to cause trouble to God's people before God. Now, what exactly did the devil, when was he cast out? This is not talking about the original casting out of the angel of light who became the devil because of his rebellion against God. This is not that casting out. This is talking about a different casting out. It's a casting out that Jesus spoke of in John chapter 12, verse 31. Jesus, right before the cross, Speaking about the time when he would be lifted up, Jesus said the following words, John 12, 31 and 32. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. When Jesus spoke about his death on the cross, he also spoke about the ruler of this earth being cast out. Again, this does not refer to the dragon's fall from his place of honor and might. It refers to him being cast out from God's presence as the accuser of God's people. I love the words of the song that we often sing before the throne of God above. One of the stanzas of that song says, When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin." Because a sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on Him and pardon me. To look on Him and pardon me. Friends, this is what we hold on to when we believe that Jesus died on the cross in our place and was resurrected. We trust that our sin and guilt was the sin that Jesus paid while He died on the cross. And that Jesus paid it in full. Therefore, There's now no more grounds for the devil 
to accuse us before God's throne. None whatsoever. And because God is no longer able to hear his accusations because they have no more grounds, Michael and the angels cast the devil out, give him no more access to coming to God's presence with accusations against God's people. Friends, that is wonderful news. But the defeat of the dragon in heaven leads him to turn towards the earth. Verse 9, the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who's called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. This is a sober part in our passage. Satan's defeat in the heavenlies does not mean that he is entirely done trying to fight. If he cannot fight against God, he is coming to the earth to fight against God's people. And notice what is his strategy on the earth. Verse 9. He's that ancient serpent. He's called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. Here the devil is presented as a deceiver of the whole world. He didn't just deceive Adam and Eve. He's able to convince the whole world of his lies. Friends, this means that we cannot take our cues from the world. If the whole world is susceptible to the deception of this dragon, why would any of us take cues and and the values from this world that is susceptible to the lies of a dragon? We live in a world dominated by the deception of this dragon. Friends, are you vigilant as you live in this world? Do you take measure to stir off the deception that the devil has brought upon the world and seeking to deceive us as well? The dragon failed to devour the Messiah. Point two, the dragon defeated and is cast out of heaven. But point three, the dragon is wrathful on earth but can still be conquered. The dragon is wrathful on earth, but can still be conquered. The third scene unpacks the wrath of the dragon when he turns towards the earth. We see this in verses 13 through 17. The woman that we saw in the first scene, whom God protected her, she shows up again here in the third scene. Who is this woman? Well, we should remember that she's presenting in verse 1 as a sign. So this is symbolic language. She is representing the people of God, both in the Old Testament times and in the New Testament times, but in their different stages. What do I mean? In the first stage, in the first scene, verses 1 through 6, the woman represents the Messianic community of the Old Testament, the remnant community from which the Messiah came. That's what the woman represents. But when the woman is being pursued by the dragon in verses 13 through 16, The woman represents more than just the Old Testament messianic community. She also represents the people of God who followed Jesus in the first century. The fact that this woman is protected by God for 1,260 days is significant. This picture of 1,260 days is a symbolic language referring to a time of suffering for God's people. This time of suffering for God's people starts not at the end of the age that is still future from us, 
but it started with the ascension of Jesus. As soon as the, the child was raised up to God, to heaven, the woman is, is sent into the wilderness and there protected for 1260 days. And, and, and the very notion of the woman being protected by God into the wilderness reminds us of the picture of the people of God after getting out of Egypt, sojourning through the wilderness before they went into the promised land. In verses 13 through 16, we see how the dragon cannot touch the woman. She's being protected by God. And God provides two images of the way God protects the woman. And the images are images of the Old Testament exodus. We are told in verse 14 that the woman receives two wings of the great eagle so that she can fly into the wilderness. In Exodus 19, God said to his people, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. In other words, God described the exodus from Egypt as a journey on eagles' wings. The second picture. God provides a second picture of of protection. In verse 15 we read, that the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. The language of the earth opening up as a means of protection of God's people is used in Exodus 15. In Exodus, not only did God use the water to save his people from Egypt and from Pharaoh, here the dragon seems to use the water to threat God's people. In other words, the, the, the dragon here is, is mimicking God's actions. But he's trying to have the exact opposite effect as God had intended. And yet God opens up the earth so that the waters of this flood are, are stopped and the woman can continue her pursuit in safety. So what is that opening up of the earth talking about? Did that really happen? Well, it's poetic language that Moses used in his song after the Israelites crossed through the Red Sea. Moses says the following in Exodus 15, You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. Now a similar language is used here in Revelation 12 where the woman is escaping the pursuit of the dragon. This means that the woman's escape from the clutches of the devil is described in language and imagery that was used at the, time, at the time of the Exodus when God saved his people from the bondage to Pharaoh. And what's more, even more interesting is that the book of Ezekiel describes Pharaoh as the dragon, as a sea monster. Ezekiel 29.3 What is the point of these images of the woman being uh, pursued by the dragon? And, and escaping miraculously. The point that these images make is the following. That God's rescue of his people from the tyranny of Pharaoh in Exodus is a pattern for how God rescues us from the tyranny of the devil. The Exodus is not just a story to, 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 to give us some material to tell our children and amaze them while they're young. And no, it is a story that sets the pattern for how God wants to rescue us from the tyranny of a more ferocious uh, ruler than Pharaoh, the dragon, the mighty dragon, the devil, Satan. 
Who can escape his clutches? Only the people of God, whom God will rescue miraculously. But notice, notice that after the woman escapes the pursuit of the dragon, the story is not over. There's more to the story. Verse 17, the dragon turns from pursuing the woman. He turns to pursue the rest of her offspring. Notice verse 17, then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. This means that the devil is not giving up pursuing God's people. And notice how God's people are described in verse 17. Notice who are the people whom the dragon pursues or keeps pursuing. It's those who keep the commandments of God and hold on to the testimony of Jesus. Friends, the people of God are here characterized by these two descriptions. Those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Now, to keep the commandments of God should not be confused with legalism. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, If you loved me, you will obey my commandments. Now, why would God's commandments be brought here when the devil is trying to pursue the rest of the offspring of the woman? When we obey someone else's commands, we acknowledge that they have authority over us. We acknowledge that they rule over us in some measure. If your boss at work gives you a command to do something, you do it because you are under his authority. He has authority over you. And to obey that command is to display that you are under that person's authority and that you acknowledge it and you live by it. Now, when we as citizens of this nation obey, abide by the laws of this nation, we declare that we live by the authority that the state has over us and the authority that it has to create laws for how to live as citizens of this nation. When we obey the laws of this nation, we acknowledge we are under the authority of the state. When we obey God's commands, we acknowledge and show off that God has authority to rule over us. Whenever we disregard his commands, we show disregard for his rule over us. So keeping the commandments of God is not about legalism here. It's about showing who rules over us. It shows whose reign are we following. Friends, don't despise the commandments of God. They are an opportunity to show through our actions what we truly believe about God's governance over our lives. And they also display whose authority we live under. But guess what? The dragon does not like anyone to rule over us except himself. And the way he lures us into his kingship is to tell us that we don't have to accept anybody's reign over us, that our self-reign is sufficient. The devil from the beginning does not want anyone to reign over, especially the Son of God, to reign over the nations. So now he's coming after the people who actually follow the reign of Jesus over their lives. For he's coming after those who actually believe and live out the reign of God among the earth. He's coming after those who care about God's commandments. 
Because God's commandments display the authority of God over his people. And the devil cannot stand it. He will fight against them. Friends, the people after whom the dragon is coming are the people who take God's authority seriously and live by it. But it's also those who hold on to the testimony of Jesus. Now, why would that matter? Because, remember how the devil's strategy on earth is to be the deceiver of the earth? To be the deceiver of the whole earth? How are we going to face his deception when he comes and says, well, this is what's really true, this is what's really right? Our chance to stand his deceptive schemes is to have the testimony of Jesus Christ stand against the devil. It is not merely our word. It is the testimony that Jesus Christ has borne to the word of God. The entire book of Revelation is described as the testimony of Jesus. When Jesus was on earth, he described his teaching as a testimony. He said to Nicodemus, uh, our testimony, we, we, I, we, teach, we teach what we see, but you people do not believe our testimony. Jesus' teaching is a testimony. So when the devil here is pursuing the people of God who are described as those who keep the commandments and hold on to the testimony, they hold on to that which Jesus has testified to be the truth of God. In this passage, the children of God are characterized by these two descriptions, the obedience to God and following the teachings of Jesus as a testimony that debunks that confronts the deception of the devil. I wonder if these two phrases describe you this morning. Is your life characterized by obedience to God and by an ongoing following of the teaching of Jesus as being the true testimony? If these words describe you, praise God. But be prepared to fight the war against the dragon who is furiously coming against us. Now we may wonder, do God's people have any chance against a dragon? Against such a wrathful dragon? And the answer to this passage is a clear yes. There's an important verse I left out intentionally. And that is verse 11. Let's look at it and we'll close with it. Verse 11. We read, they have conquered him, they referring to the people of God, him referring to the dragon. They have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. This is great news for the people of God. The dragon may be very intimidating and fierce, but God's people on earth are described as conquering the dragon. And there's three elements to this conquering. The first one is by the blood of the Lamb. Remember how I said in this whole passage, the imagery of the Exodus is huge? Do you remember how in the last plague, what was it that made the Israelites conquer Pharaoh? It was the blood of the Lamb. Sprinkled on the doors of the people of God. And every household that had the blood of the Lamb would not be conquered by the angel of death, would not be killed by the angel of death. And through that plague, 
God rescued his people and defeated Pharaoh against his people. Well, that language appears again here. The only way you and I, if we are children of God, the only way we have any chance to conquer this monstrous, ferocious dragon is by the blood of the Lamb. It is through his death and resurrection that God's people are secured their escape from the clutches of the dragon and from his power. When we cling to the blood of the Lamb, the dragon has no more power over us. We are freed from our sin and from its power. But there's a second means by which the people of God conquer the dragon. Verse 11, and by the word of their testimony. This means that the testimony of God's people is a means not merely for evangelism, but it's also a means for fighting against the devil and conquering him. The word of their testimony refers to the testimony that they received from Jesus and which now they proclaim. It's a testimony from Jesus that counteracts the deception of the devil. The word of God, as testified by Jesus, stands as our only hope of facing the deceptive powers and the lures of the devil. In declaring the testimony from Jesus, the people of God are conquering the dragon because they expose his lies and preserve the truth that God revealed and which Jesus has testified. Friends, do you turn to the word of God, to the testimony that Jesus gave as the means of conquering the devil? But there's something else, a third part to the conquering of the devil. Look at verse 11, the last part. For they loved not their lives, even unto death. Friends, if we want to conquer the dragon, we must not love our lives, even when faced with death. For the sake of Christ, we must be willing to lose our lives. If we keep... If we try to keep our lives, we will lose it against the dragon. But in being willing to give up our lives, we follow Jesus into his death and into his resurrection, and we conquer the dragon. Chapter 12 of Revelation is a key chapter for understanding the foundation of the conflict that we see in the book of Revelation. This conflict is between God and Satan. Why religion matters It's because religion is not just something to improve ourselves. Religion is about who are we siding with in this conflict between God and the devil. Who will rule over us? Who will have ultimate authority over this universe? This chapter clearly shows us that God and Satan are not two equal powers. Satan is clearly losing. The devil failed to devour the Messiah. Therefore, the death, resurrection, and exaltation of Jesus began the process of taking out the devil. The devil was defeated and cast out of heaven, so he could no longer accuse God and God's people of their sin in heaven. Their sin was fully paid for by the blood of Christ, but the devil is not willing to lose without another fight. And this fight is what he has now on earth. He's now present on earth. He's already among us fighting. You say, how do we know that? Well, do you remember in chapter 2 of Revelation, one of the churches, God says that the people who opposed the, the church was called the synagogue of Satan. Another church was called to dwell in a city where Satan dwells and where his throne is, Pergamum. Satan is already here on earth 
we are already living under his wrath. If we don't see it all the time, the way some other brothers and Christians, Christians, uh, brothers and sisters feel persecuted around the earth, he has different mechanisms here in America. It may not be persecution. It's deception. It's the deception by which he is going to try to get this land, this nation, this, the nations of this earth to follow him. If we keep reading the book of Revelation, we're going to see the various ploys that he has to secure the worship of the world to follow him. Oh, friends, let us remember that God's people have an enemy. That is the dragon. That we can conquer the dragon on the basis of Christ's blood through continuing to declare the testimony of Jesus against his deception and by not loving our lives even to the point of death. Maybe, may we be among those who conquer the dragon. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you reveal so much to us about your ways. Things that we would not know by ourselves, by our own human experience. We thank you that you reveal to us your ways with a dragon. We praise you that you have defeated him at the cross. Father, we praise you that you give us what we need to conquer him even now here on earth. Give us the strength, give us the faith, give us the trust in the blood of the Lamb. Give us a confidence in the testimony of Jesus and give us a love for you that is greater than the love for our lives so that we may be conquerors over the dragon. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.